Welcome back to the What's Inside podcast. I am the host, Dan Markham. And if you're new here, this is the podcast where we see what's inside the mind of some of the most creative people in the world, or at least some of the most creative people in my world. Over the years, we've gained 7 million subscribers on our YouTube channel. And through this, we've been able to meet some crazy, interesting people. Today's guest is one of my friends, Eli Burton, and he is super interesting. I met him a few years ago at a boring company, boring tunnel event. I know that sounds boring, but it really wasn't that boring. So anyway, while I was down in this tunnel, before I went on a ride in it, I was introduced to Eli and he had created a comic called Starman. So for those of you that are watching on our YouTube channel, um, this is the comic, The Adventures of Starman. And you might be familiar with this. Elon Musk did take a Tesla Roadster and sent it into space and he put a suit, a SpaceX suit. It was like the first time that we even saw these suits inside of the car and it's just orbiting the sun for like the next 30 million years. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. And so Eli created a comic book based off of this and now is on like season four. At the time it was season one. So anyway, a lot of other interesting things, but welcome to the podcast, Eli. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on What's Inside. When did you do your first comic? When did you come out with Adventures of Starman? First episode of The Adventures of Starman came out in October 2018. 2018. So we're all, we're like two and a half, three years away from when you created that. And yet you would never have actually been inside of a Tesla Roadster. Not once. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple in person, never sat in one ever. And so another cool thing that you guys may not know is that he sells the suits. Like he's made some suits that you can wear Halloween or just to have whenever there's a rocket launch, you want to take it and like watch the rocket launch and you're wearing like basically like a SpaceX suit. You can get one of those. So we went around today and did a photo shoot inside of the suit that he sells. And then we also had uh, the real life Starman show up and uh, put on the actual helmet and we got some really cool pictures. So we'll throw some of them up on here. Overall, like it's been two days. It was, there's like some, it was, it was tricky. We had crazy weather for part of it. I'm not like a super professional photographer. We did have one yesterday, but are you happy with the initial pictures? Like, do you feel like this trip is a success? Oh, it was a success yesterday. It's done. I mean, I'll be honest, just coming out and hanging out with you on its own was a success. <laughs> uh, really enjoy your time, man. So thanks for having me. Uh, but yeah, the photos stunning. Okay. So this is one thing that I want to get into. Um, there's a few topics that I don't know that much about, but I feel like I know a little bit, but they're hot topics. And I love having friends that I can call and say, all right, tell, help me out with this. What does this mean? What do we need to do? So I saw Gary Vaynerchuk and he started talking about NFTs. And this was right about the time that Clubhouse came out. I started going on to Clubhouse, listening to Gary, listening to all these people talk about NFTs, digital assets. You have been researching like in depth with this. In fact, we're going to take some of these photos and maybe make them NFTs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about how this even works. So if we're going to take one of these photos, explain to somebody that doesn't know that much about NFTs, what is an NFT and why would they go and even buy an NFT of like Starman and a Roadster? So the concept of creating an NFT is actually pretty simple. It sounds like this crazy, fuzzy, scary thing, but really you're taking an image, you're uploading it to a platform. There's a number of different platforms out there that uh, offer these things, these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens and you do something called mint it. And that's basically where you register this image on the blockchain, you register it to you, and you pay a small fee, uh, which is called a gas fee, to uh, mint this image on the blockchain. Now it has like its own, think of it in more uh, typical computer terms, it now has its own address that everybody on the internet can verify that it exists, and it can verify that you are the creator of it, and at that point in time, you're the owner of it. 
So where it goes from there is you've created this digital item and then you have the ability to auction it or sell it or transfer it to other people who want to add it to their digital collection. And so like we saw the one that was like Beeple or something. There was a guy that sold one at, at Christie's auction house or something for some insane amount of money. Wasn't it like, I don't know, $69 million? Yeah, something crazy $69 like million. Dollars. The, that's the question that most people are going to have is like, why? Uh, sports cards still are kind of ridiculous as a piece of cardboard that you have value. But you do hold something that you have. But I guess at the same time, like somebody could recreate the sports card too in the same way as the digital image. So like, where is the value in this? How do how do you say that there's value and people... Hold it. I don't know. Explain if there, if there is a way to explain that because I feel like it's super confusing. So that's the counter argument I get a lot. They're like, oh, hey, here's a screenshot of this. I just did this for free. Somebody else just paid tens of thousands of dollars for that. What they're missing is, and part of that comes down to how people understand art. And a lot of pure artists don't like this aspect of it. But when it comes to collecting art, it comes down to clout. Right. The reason why and there's a lot of amazing artists out there and amazing pieces of art, but the reason why Vinci's and Van Gogh's and Mona Lisa and all that have so much value is because everybody knows the artist. They know this piece of art. Well, it's going to work that same way in the digital world. This Beeple piece sold for sixty nine million dollars because Beeple is a very big name. Same thing happened. You guys probably heard of somebody who's been following this space at all called Pranksy. This guy started creating art that looked like it was a uh, uh, Banksy. And as a result, his first piece sold like for a million dollars because somebody thought it was the real guy. Well, now he's his own famous creator on its own, but it really comes down to popularity and clout. Same way sports cards work, right? Why is a, a, um, a Tom Brady rookie card or a LeBron James rookie card PSA 10 worth so much money because they're both very popular. They've been very successful and a lot of people want them. So at the end of the day, whether it be physical art or digital, it comes down to that supply and demand. And if there's a small supply and a high demand, price goes up. I'm really curious to see where this space goes because it still is confusing for the majority of people. And I feel like there's, as with any space, there's like a lot of speculation. Like people are just throwing money to it. In some ways I get it. In some ways I'm like, well, it still is a digital image. Like at least with the card, you know, it was made by the person. I guess, you know, the other one's made by a person with Mona Lisa, you know, that they, whoever, who painted the Mona Lisa? I'm not that smart. Da Vinci. Da Vinci. Yep. That, yeah, that guy. <laughs> and so you know that like Da Vinci's actual hands were on there making that thing where the recreations, maybe you don't have the value there as much. What I do like is I've seen something, you were telling me about something with Gary Vaynerchuk where he's adding like a real world component or somebody like Marshmallow, like digital artist or having like a real world component to where it's not just the digital NFT but it like gives you a pass to something, right? So this is something I absolutely love. So there is a real world value add that you can do because when you list an item, you can say, hey, here's a digital art. But a lot of what some people are doing is they're putting in the initial contract that the first person who buys it gets this special added reward. So what Gary Vee's done with some of his is whoever buys this NFT gets to come VIP to all of my shows, presentations forever. That all of a sudden makes whatever the value of the image itself is valued by this in-person thing. But you don't have to go to that extent. It can be something that's a token. It could be something that's a cool value add. There's a lot of things. It could be, hey, you bought this physical art, but guess what? The original print, you can exchange this token to the artist at any point in time, and he'll send you the original artwork. And that's something that somebody else has done as well. So is it for Gary Vaynerchuk? I don't know if it's out there yet. I don't think it's been out yet. But can you, when somebody sells that and transfers it to somebody else does that new person get the ability to go in and be at the vip con vip 
front row, all of that stuff, or does it stay with the person that originally buys it? That's completely up to the person who created the contract. But in the case of Gary V, the way I understand it, it's for the first purchaser. Oh, wow. I did one, by the way. We did, There was a Starman art piece, real-life Starman art piece that was done in uh, collaboration with uh, Mr. Colopsia, this amazing digital artist. And uh, we sold it as an NFT, as a charity fundraiser on Planet Seed Day. So we donated all the funds of the initial sale to Big Green. So that was a, now whoever rebuys it, they're, they're not forced to share any of that money with Big Green. But on initial sell, that's how we did it. So you can set terms of however you want. And, and one of the really cool things for artists is you can set it so that anybody who resells your digital art, you get a commission in perpetuity on all those resales. And I think that's why the NBA loves like NBA Top Shot. That's one thing that's really big. Um, UFC is about to get into it. So they've been like withholding like the main knockout punch from even ESPN to be able to show it on their network. They're keeping those digital images themselves. And the rumors have been that it's because they're starting the NFT. Well, this last week they published a website and you can go in there and like put in your email address and you're going to get notified to be one of the first people to get on the UFC's new, and it's a collaboration with Dapper Labs. Dapper Labs is the one that's doing the NBA top shots. And so I put my email in there. They're, it, they're like the Instagram that promoted it has like a thousand followers. So part of me is like, hey, I'm going to get in on this early because NBA Top Shots, the people that got in in October, November, I mean, they made millions off of like a LeBron James dunk. And now it's insane. I've been trying for the last month to get in to get a pack. I've purchased one pack. And the last one, it was yesterday, actually, there were 350,000 people waiting in line to get 85,000 packs. I was number 110,000. I ended up missing it. I watched it for about an hour and a half as the packs all went. I missed it by like five or 6,000 packs so or people. The interesting thing about it is that I feel like when it comes to like sports cards, there may be a bit of a threat there because sports cards are great. I love sports cards. But if you're the NBA, if you're the commissioner of the NBA, if you're LeBron James and you can make money off of all the resales, that's an, a huge amount of money. Like there's sports card shows that, that people go to where they're exchanging cards like multiple times. You've got a card that you bought in a pack that cost you $4.99 for the pack. And then your LeBron James is worth 60000 Well, then all of a sudden he goes in the Hall of Fame and all of a sudden this card's worth half a million. Well, guess what? LeBron makes no money off of that. The NBA makes no money off of the resale of that thing. And that's why I feel like digital, like NFTs, that's why I think they could have a space because... Everything in life seems to be about like the power hungry control governments, like the governments, it's like Democrats, Republicans. A lot of times they just want to have the control. It's not that one party's right or wrong. A lot of times it's like, how can we keep the power that we have? And part of me thinks that sports is going to go that way. Like, let's not give licenses to Panini, to Fleer, to Tops. Let's instead just do NFTs and then we can make a ton of money like throughout the years. So I hope it doesn't go that way, but it could. But it's an interesting space. And kind of like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about it, I think 98% of the people that get in right now and are paying for it, probably it's speculative. You probably are going to lose your money. And then there's like 2% that are going to make so much money, it's insane. So yeah, so hopefully by the time this goes out, we'll see. We're going to have some pictures and um, we're. I think we're going to partner on one of them. He's going to let me be a partner on one. So it's like, what's inside and the adventures of Starman and Eli owning one image. And I don't know if it's going to have real world application. I'd like to think of something that we could do where it's like you get some sort of reward, something that tr that's transferable. But um, I'm excited to see how this goes. This will be my first time ever like being on the backside of an NFT. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Let's get into Adventures of Starman. I want to hear a little bit more about this. Like, how did you even come up with this idea? And so I want to talk about Starman, like the genesis of it. 
and kind of that process of all of a sudden you're not a comic guy and then you're in the comic world. And then I want to hear about like when you feel like, okay, I've made it, I've made it like, yeah, how that went. So, all right, tell us about this. Cause I I'm interested in this genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite a story. So, um, I'd always been into space ever since I was a kid. I remember where I remember seeing Apollo 13 as a child, which was really a disaster movie, but, uh, they did such a great job capturing space and the Apollo program and the shuttle and mission control that it was like, I just, that just captured my attention. But for my entire life, space was dead. Nothing was happening. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we were going back and forth from the, from the, from uh, NASA Kennedy space center to the ISS shuttling astronauts back and forth. And I mean, that was cool. They were doing good research, but we weren't pushing the bounds. We weren't going further. We, we weren't even going back as far, far as we used to. Right, we didn't. We haven't gone to the moon in our life. And look at the technology we have. Like, I can see why some people are like the moon landing was fake. Because why have we never been back? That's kind of weird. Technology's a little better. You're not like in Apollo 13 where they got duct tape and they're trying to put these pipes together. And you're like, how is he? How is these astronauts were basically surviving in a tin can in space? It's insane. Using less processing power than like this microphone probably has more processing power. I'm not kidding. The chip in this microphone probably has more processing (laughs) power than they did. I mean, that was what about some of what the Apollo era was so exciting. We were literally pushing the very limits of what technology was capable of and our entire lifetime that has not happened in space all i mean we're sitting there with iphones like we've got chips in a playstation that you probably remember back in the day the ps2 chip was powerful enough to to power a icbm missile so they had a try they they had an export ban on those to like iraq as a result (laughs) like (laughs) like like we're at that level of technology but we're still just going up to orbit earth in this little research vessel so then when the falcon heavy launch happened and it was successful and I saw Starman blast off into space of, you know, that amazing shot of earth that you have right here behind you. I mean, one, I was like, I'm not a very emotional guy at all. Uh, my ex-wife would probably call me emotionally unavailable even, <laughs> but man, I had like tears running down my face because that was the moment that I like had this very deep sense of belief and just knew that this time we, that we were finally going back to space and that this was, this was going to happen. Like you that, were already a Tesla fan at this point. For, for a couple you were of years like the already. president yeah. of the Tesla, what do you call it? Not the fan club. Like, what is it? I was running a Tesla, a global Tesla owners community called My Tesla Adventure, which was, so I'd been organizing events for Tesla owners all over for, yeah. for about a year and a half at and that point. I feel like that's part of the component. Yes, you love space, but for everybody that saw that launch and you saw the Roadster in there and it was like, Tesla doesn't do commercials, but you saw that and you're like, this is the company. I mean, everybody should have bought stock at that moment. Like, look at this. Look at this advertisement for Tesla right now. There's the original Roadster and SpaceX. This is insane. You don't see this anymore. I mean, they I mean, the, they brought the Roadster, which was the beginning of the evolution of the future and vehicles on Earth, yeah. combined it with this man in a spacesuit with the world's most advanced, most heavy lift rocket at the time all together. And it was such an incredible symbol that like anybody could look at Starman and the Roadster in a car, something that we all drive on Earth and imagine themselves being there. And smart. It yes. was, I mean, it just, that's what it did for me too. Like you can see yourself up there because he's in this yeah. object that you're so familiar with. And I got to finally be in one actually with yours. Finally, three or four years later. Um, the last are. few days. And like for the, for, for the next like five, I mean forever after it really, but in the five days following it, that image was so burned into my brain. It was like all I could think about. Like I was like, it was truly the most amazing thing I've seen in my entire life. And uh, it was about five days after the launch. I was sitting down with my best friend at a restaurant and I'm just going on and on and on and explaining to him. I'm like, dude, like Starman is all of the makings of a real life superhero. 
Like, think about it. This guy got on board Tony, real life Tony Stark's <laughs> Tesla Roadster, got blasted into space on an experimental mission. All you need is a all you need is it's is a storyline and a universe, and you've got you've got a real life superhero. You know that car was in Iron Man, right? I do. Yeah. So the Roadster, like the not the exact one that went up into space, but it is cool. It's something that a lot of people don't know that there was an. I mean, of course, Elon Musk was in one of the Iron Mans. He was. But then also the Roadster was in the background of I think the first one. He's like flying around. He's hovering around in his first suit inside of the basement, and he kind of goes over the the Roadster, and I'm like, there it is. Oh my gosh. So okay. All right, so you've got that. He should be a superhero. You're thinking about this five or six days later. Yeah, so I explain, I'm explaining all this to my best friend. He sets his drink down and looks at me, and he's like, then you need to go make it. I walked outside, got on the phone with my friend who knew an artist, and literally within 24 hours, I had him hired, and the whole project was underway. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, so you go through. <laughs> how many print? How many did you do of your first run where you're like, okay, I'm making this comic book. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so I'd never made an art project before, never made it. I had no idea what I was doing, which means it cost a lot of money and took way longer than I thought it should have. <laughs> Ouch, yeah. Uh, it took about six months to do and $50,000, like maxing out my credit cards. I didn't care. I just like, I had to do this. Uh, we made 5,000 copies, all serial numbered. So every copy of the first run, uh, the first episode, they'll never be reprints, by the way. It's so, mine. Let me see. So I've got 965 yep. is mine and mine is autographed. Yep. So that's good. You have a very rare one. That's actually autographed by the illustrator, Dash Martin. Great guy. Solid. Um, yeah, so we did 5,000 prints. We, the promise was that we'll only do one run of the initial episode. As, so even you know, even if this doesn't work out and we can't make any more, at least as a thank you to everyone who bought it, this is a collectible that you know maybe will be worth something yeah. at some point someday. But yeah, when I started this, it was just like I had to do this, and I had no idea what was going to happen beyond beyond it. So at the point of the boring tunnel thing, when we're down there and Anwar Beck, our friend, says, you got to meet my friend Eli. Look at this. He's doing this comic book. Like, How, how many of you sold at that point? Oh, gosh. That was six weeks after launch. Okay. Um, I didn't tell anybody about it ahead of time because it was a type of thing that I tried to explain it to people and nobody got it. <laughs> they just had to see it. That's good. And also I was worried that like somebody else had the same idea and that if I didn't get it out first, oh, yeah. I would I would never have a shot at doing it. As it turned out, I was the only one crazy enough to do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been out for six weeks. I had sold, gosh, maybe 150 copies in total at that point. Did that help that night? Like Anwar Beck, he's kind of like, he's a great friend, but sometimes he's like a bit of a hype man. But he was texting me. He's like, you don't even know how much that was. I think the video got like three and a half million views. And it was just like this small little thing, like, check this out. And of course, you had Elon sign it right afterward. You saw him and he saw it and signed it, which was amazing. Yeah. I stayed in the tunnel. You went upstairs and followed Elon. That was the move. Better to get an autograph from Elon on Star Adventures of Starman than sitting there, going to ride in a tunnel. Anwar Beck is like, he sold a lot from that. Is it, I mean, I don't need to like be like, oh, we're, we have a big pull or something. But I am curious behind the scenes. I've never really asked you, like, did you really sell some? Or is Anwar Beck just being really nice? <laughs> I cannot tell you, begin to express how grateful I am for you doing that. Because like at that point in time, I was like, my sales were like barely covering the interest on my production costs for this. And I was like, man, did I make like a huge mistake? Like this is going to take me years to get out of like, I'm just doubting everything. Cause it was at that stage. And then after being featured in your video in the next few days, I sold about 280 copies oh, Nice. and it got seen by one of the co-founders of Comic-Con who hit me up and said, hey, we want to have you come down and host Ooh. a panel about SpaceX and Elon Musk. Are you interested? Oh, that's perfect. So, dude, it went from like... You were like, yes, I am the man for that. <laughs> I just like, dude, you have no... Like, I went from like, what have I done to like, oh my God, this can actually work. That's amazing. All from that. So like, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And did have you sold out of your first run? 
So I, about a year ago, people were grabbing up the first ones like at volume because they're using them as collectors. Mm -hmm. So what I did about a year ago is I made them only available if you're buying the entire collection. Ooh, smart. Because I want, I want there to be able to be a good number of people who have the whole set. Yeah. So right now, if you want to buy standalone copies of one, they're very overpriced because I don't want to sell a bunch of one to collectors. I want, I want new people who are just discovering the series today to be able to own the whole series. So as a result, I really slowed down sales the last year and a half. We're down to like the last few hundred copies of one though. So with, I think by probably summer they'll, they'll be gone. Oh man. If you want to get one, now's your time. <laughs> not to do, not that you need a plug right here, but on the podcast, but I one, mean, one, nice. I've seen copies of one early serial number copies of one already reselling. So I sold them for 15 bucks when I first came out, eventually 20. I have an eBay notification to let me know. And I see copies of one going for like 50 bucks, even while I still have them in the store because you can't just buy one copy in the store. Yeah. And you yeah. want to get the low serial number if you can. Yep. Kind of like an NFT, just like the NBA top shots, get the low serial number. Okay. That's cool. So you do the first season and then now you're on like the fourth, right? Or the third. We're working on the fifth, the fifth. Oh my gosh. Okay. That is great. Anything, I guess, Comic-Con kind of ended in a way because of COVID, but have you, did you get, you went and spoke at Comic-Con and what was the response there like? So I had a panel at Comic Fest. Uh, we were supposed to have a, a panel at Comic-Con um, and then COVID happened. It got canceled. Uh, it was going to be a panel with Freeman Dyson, legendary physicist. He's since passed now, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Tim Dot Everyday Astronaut, you know him, and then a couple other actual astronauts and a guy from uh, the U.S. Air Force. Uh, hopefully once COVID's over, so I think 2022, I'm going to probably come back to them and take a shot at it again. They were really apologetic because, you know, they, they liked what I was doing. They liked the people we brought to the table to have that conversation. And people are getting hyped about space. Like, it's... It, 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 if you're in the just super mainstream and aren't really following that sector at all, you wouldn't necessarily know. But like in the geek world and the comic world and the tech world, like attention's growing. Man. It is for sure. We've seen a huge explosion during this whole COVID basically in a lot of different spaces. Obviously, you've got Dogecoin, you've got Bitcoin, you've, you've got Tesla stock. You also have sports cards that have taken off. Have comic books really taken off now that you're in this space? Like have I'm curious, have they taken off? So... The, the Marvel cards have appreciated along with the rest of the sports cards market. Those things are super hot right now. Comics have not yet like it, the, the sport card collectible uh, phase that's happening right now in the craze has not yet drifted into comics quite yet, but I think we're going to see that coming in the next year or two. I would love to see that. I feel like comics, they're great. They're storytelling. There's collectible. A lot of them are rare. They only make so many. And you can go back and find some from back in the day. Plus, you've got shows on Disney Plus, like all the Marvel movies have come out on there. And then now they've got all the shows like that are coming out. So I feel like comics should take off. I don't know. With how much Marvel is just so in the forefront and the way Disney's done a great job of continuing to make content. I mean, we just watched episode five of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that show is phenomenal. So good. Like, I think it's a matter of time in the upcoming year, months, we'll see when as people who are really content creators and sports cards and collecting sports cards and that market becomes stagnant at some point, like at some point we'll hit a critical mass buyers and sellers is going to peak. Um, and then I think they're going to start paying more attention to, all right, what else is here that people are going to turn to next? And I think comics are coming. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So when did you buy your first Bitcoin? Oh gosh. <laughs> I wish I had kept the original initial say, ones yeah, that I, I had a bought. A lot of people feel that way. So I remember so back in the craze when the when Bitcoin went from like 3000 up to 10000, I didn't touch Bitcoin then because I didn't get it. I was buying Ethereum and Litecoin and I still actually have it in a paper wallet somewhere that I have to find. I don't know. I have like 15 Litecoin like 
10 Ethereum, which is a decent amount of money now, Ethereum, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's, yeah. Um, I had a little bit of Bitcoin then that I got as a reward for like referring people to Coinbase that I sold oh. for a small amount of money. <laughs> um, but my first real buy where I was like, okay, I'm buying Bitcoin as an investor, like seriously was in uh, December. Okay, so what do you think about the future? Let's make some predictions. We are not investors here. Don't take investment advice. But I am curious because you've had your finger on the pulse of cryptocurrency for the last year. And the cool thing is, as soon as you get interested in something, you do all the research. You go so deep. I'm just like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I, I read this article about it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go buy some. You're like reading every single report and listening to the experts and watching the YouTube videos. So anyway, again, not investment advice, but I'm curious. Do you, when do you think Bitcoin will reach 100,000? So my prediction on Bitcoin is by the end of 2021, we'll be right at that 100,000 mark. Okay. What about, do you think it could hit a million at some point? Do I think it's possible for Bitcoin to hit a million long-term? I think that's possible. Because there's so many people. That's kind of what the diehard Bitcoin community seems to think and talk about. They've been talking about it for years. I know people that have been holding on to it since it was like, $15 or $100, they're like, it's going to be at a million. And now they're kind of scared. They're like in hiding because they have thousands of Bitcoin. And on in Bitcoin, they're just like millionaires, $100 million. And now they're like, oh my gosh, but I know this is going to 100. I don't want to sell it. So I'm super curious to see. I've been, I get in and then I get out and I, I just, I still like I'm old, maybe it's because I'm old, but I just like have a hard time grasping just like I do with NFTs, what the real value is and where it is. I understand it could be like a hedge against the economy, but I still am just, I still feel like it's a, it's like a meme and everybody's just kind of going into it just to go into it and it's going up. So they're putting more money into it. I've talked to a lot of people about Bitcoin over the years and Bitcoin really is different things, to different people. There's different reasons why I've met a number of people that have strong conviction about Bitcoin who bought it. And some of them just believe that there's enough long-term hype that it's going to happen. There's people I bought it because what you said, because a hedge against the collapse of fiat currency. Uh, there's people I've seen that bought it who really believe it's going to become a payment, which I played around with Bitcoin to know that I don't think that that's going to be the case. But what it seems like is, is Bitcoin has become the backbone of the digital like asset. Like I know when people say digital gold that gold people get mad about that but like it's probably the closest comparison because it's 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 not fast it's not efficient when it comes to spending but it is something that the world has all agreed upon they're willing to store value in okay but the weird thing is i went on and tried to buy a tesla and it is like the hardest step ever. I, I'm like, well, we'll just go in and we'll just transfer it over. First of all, it's not like you have like a credit card that you take and that you just run the numbers on it. And there's all different places. There's Coinbase, there's Binance, there's Robinhood. Like everybody keeps their crypto or just like on some USB stick that they put in a bank and they put it in there like to get that money. It's really cool that Tesla will allow you to buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, but it seems a lot easier to just buy it with money with cash or with a credit card and so as an as a use of payment like a, a use study i feel like i don't know it's you can't really buy anything with it there's nothing gold it's not backed off of gold okay that does that matter anymore no because the dollar really isn't backed off of it but until it becomes easy to actually purchase something with it i guess i'm just a little skeptical so, I mean, right now for something like that, it's it's going to be crypto people who are purchasing like that. And there are a good number of crypto people out there and are growing with crypto's rising popularity. Well, if you made like $500 million in the last five years, then yeah, might as well just go pay, pay with crypto on it. Or you just cash it in somewhere on your, with your wallet and then use the cash for it. But yeah, 
And there's some people who will do the crypto thing because they're crypto people and they think that's cool. Now, as a, as a mainstream form of payment, the reason why it's more difficult than a credit card is credit card is the standard financial transaction model, right? We've got this whole banking infrastructure that's become the standard. Credit cards didn't used to be where they are now. Crypto is in its infancy and its difficulty. Will I see that evolve over time? Yeah, absolutely. Are the majority of people placing a deposit on Tesla going to use Bitcoin or pay for it in Bitcoin? No, not yet. <laughs> it was funny because on their website, it said something like these huge warnings about if you send too much money, too much crypto, um, thank you, that's it. It's gone. Um, we're keeping it in a way. And we're not going to go back and verify whatever whatever it was worth at that moment. It's basically like it tells you at that moment, this is the number you need to do. It's like 0.01357, but all these digits, this much of a Bitcoin you need to send them. And you got to send them like that exact amount like that day. And if you do any more, you're out of luck. I'm sure if you do less, then they're going to make you pay more. But they would. And, and the reason for that is, is at, worst, at this point in time, crypto's price is defined based off the dollar, right? So when you're buying a Tesla, it's tied to what the price to the dollar. So then whatever the whatever the conversion is to Bitcoin, what would be interesting in the long term is if slash when companies start pricing their things off Bitcoin directly, then that changes entirely. Then 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 one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Right now it's whatever this many dollars equivalent is in Bitcoin. And also the reason too why they're not going to send it to you back from a financial management standpoint. There's a whole lot of fees involved. A lot more fees involved in transferring Bitcoin back and forth than there is dollars. Oh, really? So, like, if you, what, like, what percentage of fees do you think it is? It depends on what's going on in the network. It can be, it can be substantial. It can be, it, it'd be well over a credit card transaction fee right wow. now. Well over. So, like, if you, if you, if they overpaid by four bucks on a hundred dollar deposit on a Tesla with Bitcoin, it could easily cost them over four dollars to replicate that problem. Who gets the fees? to fix that problem? Who gets the money? Who gets the fees? So the way, uh, so like normally a bank collects the fees because they're the middlemen on a Bitcoin network because it's decentralized and all these computers and servers around the world participate in, in processing the transactions. It gets, sh those fees get shared with the computers who provided the resources to provide the data crunching. So the people that are the miners, the Bitcoin miners, that's what they're doing. They're helping, the computer is doing that and then the computer is getting like part of that transaction fee in a way. Correct. All right, so here's the question. It's been super speculative. What do you think is going to happen first? <laughs> Tesla hitting $1,000 a share, Dogecoin hitting $1, or Bitcoin hitting $100,000? Ooh, you threw a wrinkle in there with Dogecoin. Dogecoin did something interesting this week and ran up to, I think, 40 cents. By the time we put the, the last podcast couple out, they're going to be like, "You're so that was so long ago. It's at $4 now. <laughs> that would be crazy. So I think it will be Tesla hitting, I think Tesla will hit 1000 before Bitcoin hits a hundred thousand. Okay. What about Dogecoin hitting a dollar? Do you think that will hit a dollar before any of those those other two? I think it's possible for Dogecoin to do it, especially because so one of the big differences between Dogecoin, Tesla, and Bitcoin, Tesla and Bitcoin have similar market capitalizations. You know, Tesla's at I think six hundred something billion right now. Bitcoin's at a trillion. <laughs> Dogecoin is at like 24 billion, even though it's insane run up. It takes a lot less money to manipulate the price of Dogecoin. Hmm. So people can get in with tens of millions, hundred million bucks and go in and drive the price of Dogecoin up. And if you know anything, if you've seen movies like Wall Street, yeah, the financial system does work that way. You know, sports cards, you're familiar with some of the things of the market manipulation right. that happens there. Dogecoin is a much, a much easier market to manipulate than Tesla and Bitcoin. So if a bunch of people got together combined with a big run in hype, which kind of happened in the past week, 
for Dogecoin to get from 40 cents to a dollar is still puts them under 100 billion market cap versus Tesla getting to a thousand adds 300 billion in market cap. Bitcoin getting from 60 to 100,000 adds 400 billion in market value. So, so it's a lot harder for those markets to move without changes in fundamentals. And so with, with crypto, there's really no government body. So if there is market manipulation, is there anything like SEC can do or the government can do and come in and say, hey, these people took all this money and put it in there and then they sold out and then all these everyday Joes lost all their money because they're like, Dogecoin, I watched Elon Musk do a tweet about a dog looking at the moon. I bought this and now I lost money because the hedge fund people came in with $100 million and they sold all their stuff. Like, is there any protection in that or is it basically just like, good luck? Well, so that's the thing. The Securities and Exchange Commission has ruled that cryptocurrency is not a security putting it out of their, it, it, from their definition, it is not a securities market, putting it out of their purview to regulate, which is what people wanted, but it also comes with its own set of downsides, that it is a free and open system, and it's also free and open to manipulation. Jeez, no wonder Elon likes it. He's not a big fan of the SEC. The thing is too, though, as these systems become even more massive in scale, they become more resistant to it because of their size. It's very hard to manipulate a trillion dollar market cap. Just It just point. takes way more money to do it. Good point. Okay, transitioning over to sports cards, something that we've talked a lot about. We had Jeff from the Sports Card Investor on this show. Not sure when we published it, but it was a week or two ago when we filmed it. And it was a really interesting podcast listening to him and his perspective and his business side of things. Once I started getting into sports cards a little bit, I started calling you and I'm like, hey, sports cards, you seeing this? Um, and you bought some cards. So, like, one actually, to talk about it if you're on the video watching this right now or maybe i show it to this camera this is the world what does it say world's champion digital asset cryptocurrency there is a card that is the cryptocurrency card made by tops which is really cool alan and jinter what's the story behind this card and yes thank you a psa 10 you just gave this to me. He just gave this to me. How cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it was actually a thanks because you, as a kid, I was big into sports cards. So you talking about it and sharing me what was going on got me back into it and I've enjoyed the heck out of it. <laughs> this was the card that uh, once, when I got back into it that I got most excited about. This is basically the, the what, what the market is calling this is the Bitcoin rookie card. I know it just says cryptocurrency, but on the, the, oh, I get you. I the get street that. term is it's the Bitcoin rookie card because it's the first card to be made documenting this phenomenon. And I saw the card and I love the Allen and Jenner style. It looks great. I mean, I just love having this card in my collection regardless of if it became more popular, but I'm looking at the rise of Bitcoin. I love this card. I think other people are going to love this card. So I bought a bunch of them. A bunch of them? Like how many did you buy? <laughs> so I started off with buying 10 PSA 10s. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I just like, I saw them available and I was like, I want that. I kind of just impulse did it. It's really easy on eBay. It's a lot easier to buy sports cards on eBay than it is to buy a Tesla with cryptocurrency. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> like not even in the same universe easy. <laughs> All right. So I have a funny story to tell you. So I was using uh, my PayPal to pay for a lot of these transactions and I actually got a phone call from PayPal. And it was very clear that they were concerned that I was using my PayPal account to directly buy actual currency in some way that was like skate that was jumping around their rules. Cause like the guy kind of was like interrogated me a little bit. He's like, so like, I'm like, what is it that you're buying there? And I'm like, Oh, they're sports cars. They're like, are you buying, are you, but are you buying actual Bitcoin? I was like, 
no. But like they were really pushing on this. So they could see that it said something about cryptocurrency on there. And they saw like the, the large dollar thing. amount that I was spending buying all of these. Oh my. So, and I got I got two different phone calls of them really pressing this because like I, I believe if I was buying crypto in that means like basically using the the PayPal platform to buy crypto in this way, I believe I was I would have been violating their their service terms of agreement. But I wasn't. I was like, no, it's a collectible sports card. It's the Bitcoin rookie card. And they're like, there's no actual Bitcoin on that card. It's like it's not how it works. <laughs> well, maybe it was like, could have had like an, an address. SD card is what yeah, they were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or could have had an address, but I was like, no, it was just a collectible <laughs> sports card. They, yeah, they really did the interrogate me about this. There's not an address on the card. Okay, that is too funny. Oh, man. Okay, so this is sweet. So I have one of these. I'm going to put this in the collection. Um, I've been sending my cards to this place called PWCC. I'm testing it out right now. I shouldn't even be talking about it because it's almost like free promotion for them. But I think it's pretty cool. It's like a vault in Oregon. They have this massive, I think they call it like grade three vault or something. It's like bank level. And they just have all these cards that they store up there. You mail it to them. They take the highest quality image of your exact card front and back. And then they do this research, put a great title in there. And then you just have it. They put a value. They assign a value of what your card is worth. They insure your cards so that if anything ever happens to it. Because that's the thing about me. Like, we are YouTubers. We've, we made 40 videos, soon to be 41 when this next video comes out, on just the build process of our house. And then I'm out here like, hey, check out my sports cards. I've got... $50,000 worth of sports cards or whatever, $100,000 of cards. Like, and then I'm just showing it. Of course, if somebody wanted to break into my house, like just find that little safe that I showed in the video and you're going to have 50 or $100,000 in cards that you can just take and trade. So I didn't like that. And just so you know, if you're listening, I don't keep them at my house anymore. This is the only one I have at my house right now. I sent them all to PWCC and just like the peace of mind. It's there, it's scanned, it's insured. And then the great thing is if you ever want to sell cards, unless you go to a sports card shop, well, if you do go to a sports card shop, be prepared to sell it for like 70% or 65% of what the value is, the latest comp on eBay. So that's not a great thing. You could go to a card show, but you got to pay to go to a card show. You've got to negotiate with people. And if you're not good at negotiating and knowing the values and all that, and if somebody doesn't like that player or want the card, it's hard to sell a card sometimes. So eBay is the easiest way to do it. But if you sell it on your own, it's like 12 or 13% fees pwcc gives me like a huge discount and you can just like click a button and like sell it so anyway i'm testing it out it's funny i'm talking about this this much but that's where i'm gonna send this and it's really cool because you can just like click on it and be like show me my collection and you see them all there and then in a way i thought about the other day i'm like this is kind of like an nft this is just a digital image of my physical asset like i don't even have the cards it's just a digital copy of it that has value. That is the exact analogy I gave to somebody that I'm like, I have this Tom Brady rookie card PSA 10. This Tom Brady PSA 10 in this case is, has gone across probably dozens of collectors that were just sending this hard shell case across the country back and forth paying shipping. How crazy, how much simpler would that be if we were just transferring a digital file to a wallet? Yep. Like, don't get me wrong, holding this and having this, I love this. Yep. I'm from a generation that I will never not like this and I'll never not have some of these. But when you look at the kids now too, the way that like, you know, my, my daughter, she doesn't even want me to want to buy physical toys anymore. She wants money for Roblox yeah. <laughs> and for Fortnite. Give me some Robux so I can buy more things, more right. skins. And, and in Robux, she buys stuff in games sometimes that as soon as she leaves the game, it's lost, so it's not even held. But then on, <laughs> on Fortnite, it's for skins just to look different. And by the way, these aren't limited. Imagine once you add limited edition into that. Oh, there's only a hundred of this skin. Oh yeah. What would adult her be willing to pay for that with adult money? When I'm with Lincoln playing Fortnite, when we used to like six months ago, we would be playing and he's like, 
oh my gosh, there's the original Red Raider. Or like he would call out these skins he of knows these what people they are. that bought them. Like you could have only got that in the first six months of the game and they only released it for this much time. And he he freaks out when he sees it. And he like goes over and like bounces up and down in the waiting room. Like I see your skin. He's like doing these moves to let them know that you have the coolest skin and I see it. So yeah, I see it. I see it. I'm learning. For those of you that are wanting to learn about this, keep your eyes open because back when the internet first came out, people were skeptical. They were skeptical of webs. I remember like in 97, 98, 99, I was just coming out of high school and I had money invested in the stock market and like all the tech stocks were like taking off. It did become a bubble and it went up too high and then it crashed. But then after like 2001, 2002, like things started coming back and we started to see real value in things. And so we might see a similar thing where stuff takes off, takes maybe Dogecoin is a big cryptocurrency. Maybe the NBA Top Shots is going to take off. Maybe, I don't know, but it's going to go up. People are going to lose some money. And then the real winners, I think, are going to come out. For sure, this initial runs a bubble. And for anybody out there who just doesn't get it at all, part of it is because the NFT, the digital art, the digital ownership is a little ahead of where we are in our digital lives. So we already spent an unbelievable amount of time on the internet, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all those things. But there's nowhere really to display your ownership yet. Like let's say you own to that $69 million people. There's nowhere to put on your virtual wall to be like, mm-hmm. yo, check out. Like for people, like if you own something like that, you want people to know. Like that's why you're buying pieces like that. It's a cloud game. But like even if you just have something that you love and you're passionate about, like, like a lot of people, they're not buying it for investing. They buy it because they love that thing. You don't really have anywhere to display it. That's going to change in the next five to 10 years as Gen 3.0 of the internet evolves. It's going to become much more a virtual environment. We are going to spend way more time working with people in the internet, online. Zoom is just the beginning of where we're headed. Then we're going to get to a place where we have a virtual presence that includes more than just our profile picture and a description. And that's when you're going to see these very limited virtual arts all of a sudden become something that's really important because you're going to have a digital wall. When people come and visit your digital space, they're going to see your digital Leonardo da Vinci that like, oh my God, you're one of the 10 people that own it. That's smart. I feel like like you know, that's a good comparison with Zoom. Can you imagine if, if you're sitting at home and you're just wearing a VR headset and that's how you do your work meetings or it's like Coming. Clubhouse, but it's VR and like Gary V is like on the stage talking to 200,000 people. And then he's like, Hey, I'm going to pull Dan up. And all of a sudden, you're like your little version of you is like on the stage and you're talking. That would be kind of insane. And that will be, when that does happen, that will be just as valuable and cool and all the benefits gained as if it happened in real life. And by the way, people who think that's crazy two a year ago or two years ago, if you told most people that they would spend an entire year doing all of their meetings and working entirely through zoom, they would have said you're crazy. That's true. And then it just happened. And guess what? It actually worked. Like mm-hmm. the world, like, yeah, the world did kind of fall apart, but like <laughs> people were still able to work together through a purely digital medium and it's been proven to work. People want to stay home. Businesses can save money. There's so many like benefits that people have seen to their lives. Now there's going to be a huge business drive to how do we get this better? How do we make this more immersive? How do we make people feel like they're working together separated and v- VR is coming big time. Then, Apple, Facebook, yeah. they're spending billions on this stuff. And its biggest marketplace value is not just going to be entertainment. It's going to be how we work. Interesting. Okay. Next topic. One that I think is really interesting. Maybe our last topic of the day. This has been so fun. Like I could probably sit here. I don't know how Joe Rogan, he does it for like three or four hours, but we could just sit and chat forever because I love talking about this stuff. But um, let's transition over to Tesla, Elon Musk, and those things. I know we talked a little bit about it before, but I want to get some of your thoughts on the latest things with Tesla, where they're headed. First, easiest question. You have a shirt on that says Musk Industries, not Stark Industries. How many times have you met Elon Musk? Oh gosh, 
four times, I think. Four, okay. I, that's that I can, yeah, I think it's four. It's four or five times. And yeah. you've actually talked to him or shaken his hand on some of those. I have, yeah. And on one of the occasions, my friend, uh, Real Life Starman, actually got to uh, to meet with him in person, yeah. Perfect. That's great. Okay. So what do you see, what do you see over the next year for Tesla? We are building Giga Berlin. They're building Giga Austin. A year from now, do you think that we will be seeing any Cybertrucks rolling off the line? Definitely. We're talking by April, 2022. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like a lot of Cybertrucks. That's a different story. I don't think it will be a lot. I think it will be Cybertrucks. I think the ramp of Cybertruck is going to be painfully slow. It is a much more difficult vehicle to manufacture in this it, because it's a vehicle that nobody has ever manufactured before. They have got a lot to learn. Elon keeps trying to tell people over and over on Twitter that like he's hedging all the time saying this is going to be super hard. We've never done like nobody's ever made this before. Uh, There's a lot to learn in manufacturing. Initial release is going to be slow and then we'll scale the volume. Like no matter how many times he tries and tells people that, Hey, like slow, slow your estimates. Tesla fans are like, it's going to come early. It's going to come early. It's, I really don't think so. I mean the Tesla Roadster, that thing was announced and it was like mind blowing. It seems like an eternity ago. Like think how much different Tesla was cryptocurrency. Like the world was a different place in 2000 and it's like 17, maybe 27. Uh, yeah. 2017 November. Like I think of 2017, they, they show the Roadster here. We are in 2021. That's a long time away. And I don't even know when we're going to see that. <laughs> I don't think we know yet either. And Elon has said that they have bigger priorities to do first. They're going to be doing Cybertruck. They're going to be doing Semi. And then I think Roadster will come sometime after that. But it's clear now that we know about the 4860 cell, that that was the technology that was holding up the Roadster program. We, now, we can now know by that density that, oh, yeah, okay. To get 200 kilowatts into that form factor, a smaller and lighter car than the Model S, this is what they were waiting on. Um, and yeah, it just it turned out very much not to be ready by 2020. Will the Cybertruck have the 4680 batteries? Yes, has to. And it's been confirmed. What about what other cars do you think will have it at that point, like a year from now? So all Model Ys coming out of Berlin are going to, all cars coming out of Berlin are going to have it. And, and, and it's going to be one of the things that's going to slow initial production out of that facility is they like, and it makes sense. You're building a new factory. They have to come with a whole new manufacturing process because of this structural pack. It's no longer the skateboard battery pack. It's a structural pack. So if you're going to build a new factory, you're building for the future not the past. So all the cars coming out of Berlin are going to be structural pack. Uh, Cybertruck absolutely has to be the new battery cells. There's no way else to get the performance range, all the other things that they need. Uh, semi truck's going to be that way as well. The semi truck is intriguing to me. I, I think that like it definitely, they can make a ton of money off of it and sell a lot of them, but it also seems really tricky to have an electric semi truck with as, as frequently as those guys drive trucks. Like range anxiety is a thing when you own a Tesla, but most people, less than 5% of their time that they even have a Tesla, do they actually go on a road trip where they need to supercharge? That's the majority of people. But for a semi-truck, every single trip, every day, well, I guess there are people around town that maybe you get around town and you're just doing deliveries to different grocery stores or whatever. But a lot of the people, you're going on long road trips. You just made me realize an observation about Tesla that I hadn't made previously is when Tesla promises a spec, they do not ship the car until it delivers the spec. That might mean that the car ships late, but they have never gone back and lowered the spec. Hmm. And I think the semi is very much a case of that. So long as Tesla delivers the specs that they promise, they have set range criterias and, and charging criterias 
that are so long and so far apart that you would have legally hit the mandated requirement to take 30 minutes off the road before you would be low enough on charge. So that's the key of 500 miles at 500 miles. And you could charge back 400 miles in 30 minutes that falls within the legal requirement. If you could, how many hours you're allowed to drive before taking a 30 minute break so that they've, they've already done their numbers around that requirement. And I think that's part of why Tesla is not going to go back and maybe they could have released one sooner with past sales that they know that with these numbers, semi trucks work just as well as gas vehicles. That's good. We've been seeing more prototypes out there lately, the last little bit. So it must be a real thing at some point. I mean, it'd be cool to get a semi truck and convert it and make it like your personal car and just do some cool stuff with it. Zach and Jesse from Now You Know, uh, Zach has one on pre-order. They're actually going to make a, yeah, they placed no. 25 grand immediately. I know those guys. I remember them from one of the launches. Great people. They're going to be doing a nation, they're making a nationwide tour bus out of it. They're oh going to have my. a mobile studio. Like uh, they're so hyped. Like that'll, <laughs> that'll be probably the only one I ever get to like get in. Cause the other, the initial ones are going to like Pepsi and Coke and like, they're not going to let some Tesla fan come in and record their vehicles. Yeah. But I, I, I can't wait to see Zach and Jesse's. That's pretty funny. But when do you think the roadster will actually be out? I need to know this. It's very important to me. <laughs> I think end of 2022, maybe 2023. Okay. I think that's, I think 2023 is kind of what I've told myself in my mind. For some reason, it's like, I don't know why, May 2023 seems uh, realistic. Yeah, like Q1, Q, yeah, spring 2023 is, I think, the realistic, my optimistic would be into 22. Why haven't we seen, what, what, are, January, what is it right now? We're, we're into, by the time we're filming this right now, it's like end of April, mid-April. Why have we not seen any refreshed Model S or X? Because they shut down, I think it was like the 15th of December. It's been a long time. I know they're making so much money off the Model 3s, Model Ys, especially in China right now, but it is kind of crazy that they're not selling any Model Ss and Model Xs. What's up with the refresh? Do you know anything about that? So I don't have any inside information on this. If I did, I couldn't share it anyway, but I, I don't. <laughs> but from what I've seen is speculation is it ties to back to this massive chip shortage that's been affecting the global auto market and that it's guessed that Tesla is also be like, everybody's being affected by it. We don't know to how much Tesla is, but the speculators I've seen and the analysts are that they believe it's due to the chip shortage. So that's what's holding up Tesla from ramping up the S and X uh, so that they are just focusing on their three and Y cars, which the fact that they broke expectations on Q1 with basically delivering only a thousand of S and X, which was the old versions, not even the new ones is stunning. It is insane. Stunning. Because that's the only thing that kept them afloat in the past was the Model S and the Model X. They needed people to buy them. And now they've literally proved that they can grow with that vehicle turned off. That's kind of scary because I like those cars and maybe they might get a little comfortable and be like, maybe we don't ever make these again. They won't go away. For people who are worried about that, they won't go away because those are the flagships. Those are the ones that continue to give their brand the elite status. Mm. Tesla, Elon is not going to be out there and not have the fastest vehicle on the road. He's not going to not have the longest range vehicle on the road. He's not going to have all of those things. That's where the S and X come in. I, I think their their cash flow is valuable. Their sales is valuable, but really, it's the brand. They're the brand flagships. So, what do you think Elon thinks about? I wouldn't be surprised if he watched my video a couple weeks ago about the new Mercedes EQS, and I'm like. This is the most comfortable ride in the world. When he gets in it, he's going to feel it. The shocks are way better. The seats are so comfortable. I mean, honestly, you can just go to get into a gas S-Class right now, and it's so much more comfortable. Maybe they're delaying it because he's making it a little more comfy. <laughs> that would be nice. The seats are just like, they leave a lot to be desired in, on the interior of the S and the X. If that's supposed to be the best of the best, it still is in a lot of ways, but man, please just make some better shocks and seats. I wish they would just step it up there. there. And I'm a big Tesla fan. Like I made, I made that video and 
I'm sure there are some people that love Tesla that are like, man, why are you so, they must be paying you. Nope, they're not paying me. I just was really, I'm really comfortable in it. And it's a Mercedes. It's so nice. I do have a different perspective because I've actually like torn open their seats before and seen their hot stone massage. Tesla can't even seem to get a fan to be air cooled inside of the seats. I think that maybe is coming back, but it's not that hard. It's not like there's air conditioning actually in the seats. They literally just put a fan that blows the cold air from underneath the seat and blows it up on you. But anyway, I'm pulling for the seats. Please, Tesla, get some better seats. <laughs> the new battery tech is coming by next year. We should have the new battery pack. Is there anything that's slowing down batteries from coming out? Like, like you said, there's a chip shortage. Which one is a bigger shortage, like the ingredients to get the stuff for batteries or the actual microchips? So I think batteries, I mean, for the batteries, they're scaling production for the first time. So that's an entirely different challenge than the chips, which is there was a big squeeze on the global supply due to China that caused a disruption in something that people had were already expecting to have. So it's kind of different sides of the problem. On batteries, they're on a, on a production ramp. So there's all sorts of things that can go on a production ramp. I, and I can't say we really know the specifics, but scaling a new battery is kind of expected to take time. Yeah. You asked Elon a question on it was you're sitting in your car COVID was happening you still had the meeting and you're like one of the first people and you're like i really like camping in my car i like sleeping in it if you didn't see it, i did a video on the dream case it's like a bed for your car and it's actually really cool i legitimately slept in it one of my neighbors asked me the other day he's like did you just like film you in there and then come back in the morning and film you and like no 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 i legitimately slept in my car the entire night and it was comfortable i did need tint on my windows or like something over it because there's a super bright street light coming on me so if i did that in the in the future now i do have tint so that'll help and maybe i would put like a blanket over so people don't just look in at me sleeping but it was really comfortable so this was one of the earnings or launches or something and you were there and you're like hey my name's eli burton and uh, i would like to know if you could sleep and have like a camper mode inside of the semi truck that was a good question. Cybertruck. Cybertruck, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, so like I, I, I've i always been about car camping. I started sleeping in my Tesla when I first got my Model S back in 2017. In fact, by the time this podcast is out, hopefully my video's out. I shot a video last week. I get questions all the time about how do you camp in your Tesla? What's that like? So I finally have made the official Tesla car camping guide. But yeah, that was awesome because like for me, the Cybertruck would be an amazing vehicle to camp in because you have this huge bed in the back, all the storage are going to have solar panels on the top as an option so it can charge. For me, I want that vehicle if I can car camp. So I got a lot of flack online because it was at battery day that I took the chance to ask Elon about camper mode in the Cybertruck. But look, that's the feature I want. And if that comes through as I got to help push that, that's amazing. So, and, and there's you, a lot of other people who want. You that. actually got flack online about that. Yeah, they're like, "Why didn't you ask a battery question?" I'm like, "Hey, dummy, because I don't understand what he's talking about when it comes <laughs> to the batteries." And no, like he was talking about all these things in this battery tech. I have no idea. Like, I need some time to digest this, research this, and maybe in a week I could come back with an intelligent yeah. conversation. Which also, too, let's be practical. If somebody actually had a super intelligent conversation question to ask about the battery they probably weren't going to answer it because it probably has to do with things that are proprietary to them that they don't want you to know. Like they went into the level of detail they wanted people to hear about. If I had, if you had some super intelligent question, you were going to get a vague general answer, but asking about a feature you want to have in the product, heck yeah. And he said he thought it was cool. Yeah. They'd look into that. Cause it's cool because on the Cybertruck, it's supposed to have like a metal great door kind of thing. Like kind of I, the way I think about it is like when you're at the mall and they're closing up shop and they like take the, the metal door and they close it down. It's just, it just rotates as they're closing it and then it's closed and they lock it. That's kind of what it's going to be like. I think on the back where it just kind of comes over and shuts, 
but it should be solar panels. Like it, it'll somehow charge, but that's incredibly safe. Like that's a safe truck bed. If you could sleep in that and you'd have to have air from the cabin being able to come in and somehow keep it at a good temperature. That was my ask. You need climate control to the back. So long as you can get climate control to the back, it's great. Yeah. So I like that idea. That's, it's like a tank. It's it, from the, okay. I was having a conversation with my friend, Zach from Jerry Rig Everything this morning, actually, he was texting me. I said, Hey, did you see the cyber truck? And he's like, yeah, I saw it. I didn't like it as much as I used to, as I remembered it. Like I saw the pictures. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like it. And, but it was a little different last time. the only time we really saw it was at a launch. And then now Elon is driving. I said, is it because the tires were dirty? And he's like, no, no, no. I, I, I never washed my own truck. <laughs> he's like, and, but anyway, um, from the front, it looks fantastic. And then he sent me the picture from the side and he's like, there's something about the side picture I don't like. So I'm curious to see what it looks like in person once they actually have the final version. Cause they had to scale it down to make it smaller. So it'll fit on the road. Right. Or did they change that? They didn't. Oh, they didn't. Yeah. yeah. They talked about decreasing about it a certain number of inches to fit in garages. And then he came back after reviewing it with Franz and stuff and was like, we can decrease it by like an inch, but any beyond that, the car doesn't work. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So it's not getting smaller. That's no, good. It's going to be a tank. I do have a 12 foot wide door in my garage. I went a little wider than what you need. Maybe it was in preparation for the Cybertruck. I would love to have one, especially if it has that range. If the Model S and the X... It'll have that range. Do you think the Model S and the Model X will get that range at some point? Or they, I mean, they're, if they're the flagships, you think they would get the battery tech too, but it sounds like they're just going all in on Cybertruck, Roadster, Model Y at the beginning. So it looks like Pat Plaid Plus has been delayed till mm -hmm. next summer. It was supposed to be this... Uh, December. Okay. But it, right now you can go order a Plaid Plus. It says ship summer 2022 and it will have 520 plus miles. So, so it will happen. have, it will have the new cells. It's promised to have the new cells. It's going to have that new, oh, it's going to go over 200 miles an hour. Do you ever think that you want to move to Austin because everything is down there and Tesla is there and SpaceX is there. You can go watch rocket. You just drive down and watch the rockets take off and all that. Austin is an awesome city. I go out and see Anwar Beck as much as I can. Uh, it's a great time out there. Uh, I would move out there probably more for SpaceX than Tesla. Again, I love what Tesla's doing, but like there's not much to watch at a Tesla factory, right? Like people it's come true. in and out, cars stream out one end, but SpaceX launches what they're doing down in Brownsville. Man, that is so exciting. It almost, I, I was watching one of the last ones and the guys were pretty close. They're pretty close to where it takes off. Like it kind of seems a little dangerous. You got this prototype rocket in the air. It's just like spinning around and hitting the ground, exploding everywhere. But I guess they're at a safe distance, but... I kind of like that danger because when I went to NASA, we went to a rocket launch. We're on this grass field. We were so far away from where the actual rocket took off that it's a little less exciting. You might as well have a little bit of danger there, but I need to get to one. You haven't been to one, have you? Unfortunately, I've not been able to make one, but I'm planning on getting out there uh, in early May, at least to see it. Like again, timing, timing a rocket launch is incredibly difficult, uh, especially coming out of the Cape with weather. With SpaceX and Starship development, it's even harder to, to time because they'll have a launch window, but these are experimental rockets, which means they could put the engine on and it fails and the next good day to launch maybe a week later. So it's a, if you don't live there, it's a bit of luck. So I have friends that have literally bought houses and moved there. So they're just there ready to capture it when it happens. That's crazy. I don't know. I don't understand how they, they, one crashes, it explodes. And it seems like it's another week later and all of a sudden they're testing another one. Like how do they come up with the tech that fast and how do they build another rocket that fast? I mean, there was a week ago where the, I think SN8 exploded and SN9 was on the launch pad, like while they were still cleaning up the wreckage of SN8 three days later. What in the world? 
Elon is showing the world how development can be done. And there's a reason why they don't have high fences and this isn't being hidden. It's like, watch us do this. He's, <laughs> he's giving everyone a blueprint for how you innovate if you want to get serious about space. Um, and right now, these are all hand-built, basically. I mean, they're gigantic steel-looking grain silos with some really high-powered engines attached <laughs> to them. And they're doing it not in a green room or a clean room. They're doing it in, a, in what looks like a truck yard. And the reason they're doing that is when you have rockets on Mars and you have to repair them, you don't get to control the environment. Hmm. So they are, he is forcing the requirement on their team to build rockets that are actually going to be useful for interplanetary by giving them an environment that's going to be simple, similar to what they have to work in. But honestly, right now is only just the beginning and these hand-built prototypes. What's going to be really incredible is once they get the final build candidate designed, they're going to mass produce these things. Like we're going to see an entirely ready to fly starship coming out at, at a rate of one or more a week, ready to go. You're just going to have a fleet of them just sitting there. Their plan is to build a thousand starships. What? And, and by the way, if that doesn't blow your mind, so SpaceX currently in 2021 with, with their um, booking of, of business, they're going to do 75% of all of the cargo to space for the entire planet with the Falcon 9. Oh my gosh. With Starship in a single day, they will be able to do Earth's entire cargo to space that it currently does for a year. Whoa. They're building a thousand Starships. It's a whole army. There is a gold rush that's about to happen in space and an ability to get to space for cheaper than we've ever done that people can't even imagine. Like SpaceX and going to space are about to be synonymous. Like SpaceX is outdoing entire nation's governments as a single company and they're doing that already with just the falcon 9 rocket with starship it's literally a 100x improvement is anybody trying to copy this right now i wish they would like china not yet no we i anticipate that china will be the first to copy it but even the european i think the european china won't announce if they're working on orbital re, re, reusable but no. we'll know because you can't hide the tests yeah. rocket goes up into space and when you bring it back down we know if you're letting it crash into the ocean or you try to land it the first announced one who's trying to do partial reusability in another nation is EU has a plan to have like partially reusable by 2030. Oh my. Starship. There's going to be hundreds and hundreds of starships on Mars before they build their first reusable. Elon will be picking his third planet to visit after that. <laughs> yeah. By then, <laughs> by probably. Yeah, I think they will. I think they'll send starships to other planets because they're going to cost them so little to produce. Wow. Okay, so I remember they had this, they had basically a big press release conference a little while back with this guy. I think he's from Japan and he was a big Saku investor. Saku Maizawa. Wow, say that 10 times. And uh, anyway, so he was like this big investor and he was the first guy that he was like funding this thing and he's going to take some influencers with him on the thing to go to Mars. Influencers, not like social media influencers, I wouldn't think, maybe, but he's going to take people to, to the moon or like circle the moon. Where are we at on that? Why aren't they gone to the moon yet? Okay, this is a good one because there's been some recent updates. So this is the Dear Moon project. Uh, he gave SpaceX, Elon, an unknown... Dear Moon. <laughs> Dear Moon, yep. Hashtag Dear Moon too. He went super trendy with that one. Okay. Um, so he gave SpaceX an unknown amount of money, but it's speculated that he gave him a billion dollars. And basically, Whoa. he gave them a whole lot of money to fund help fund development. In exchange, he gets the first private flight he, him and a crew of nine other people, he's going to take on the moon. And it was announced as his entire goal, which I absolutely love this. He wants to take artists from mainstream pop culture in different areas, musicians, poets, movie makers, give them this experience to the moon. So when they come back to earth, they can embed this experience of space into the pop culture content they create. It's going to be all NFT artists. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but it's genius though, because if you want to get the, like, it's always hard to go from something that's in a niche to getting mainstream attention for it. And what a better way than taking mainstream people. Well, it's going to be a while before it happens because they're currently just testing Starship and they're going to have to do cargo test and then human test and then all that, that certification. So it's expected to be 2024 when this mission happens. But they decided to open it up to the public to apply to be a member of the crew, to actually be an astronaut. So I am currently actually at stage four, I believe, of the process. Oh. I passed the first few stages. Now it's at one where I had to record a 60-second video. Like they shortlisted me like for the first three rounds. Wow. Now I submitted a video. They've watched it five times because I have a private link, so I know they've seen it. <laughs> so then if I pass this round, then I get to go to actually an interview with somebody with SpaceX and Dear Moon. At that point, I won't be able to talk about it anymore because they said at that point it's not public. But I'm at that stage right now that hopefully in the next month I'll get a call to interview to potentially be a member of the crew. Oh, my gosh. You got you all vaccined up? Yes. That helps. Yes. And so you got to have that. Man, go to space. I just watched a documentary on on like the Challenger and when that went up. I Actually, it was only like one episode of it, but it was really good because I remember that, that was my childhood when they were sending a teacher up there. And I remember like we all watched it in school and then it exploded. And then I was like, oh, and they like turned off the TV and I was like, oh, man, space is hard. Did That's, you go to space? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I've never, I've never thought of that. I've never even crossed that, that in my mind. I've never even asked myself that question. It's a big one. Cause like, I think with you wouldn't argue that it would be an amazing experience, yeah. but then the question is like, is it worth the risk? I don't even skydive cause I'm worried about the risk. When my kids are older, I wonder older, what's riskier skydiving or rockets. It's probably sky. It's probably rockets. Probably but, at this point it's yeah, that's a good question. The thing is, things change when you have kids because I would love to have a motorcycle. I'd love to go skydiving. I'd love to do these things. But then I look and I see a headline. This dad dies because he was skydiving. And I think of my kids like not having me around to help them through their like young age of life. That scares me. Space is a different story because that's inspirational. That is something that is blows the kids' minds and just, you know, obviously we want every spaceship to make it and you want to become an astronaut, but either way, just that you're that ambitious and that brave to go out there and be some of the pioneers of it, that's something special. Me riding a motorcycle or jumping out of an airplane to skydive, not super inspirational. <laughs> that's I mean? honestly, that's my feeling exactly. Like I don't ride motorcycles or any of that stuff anymore. Used to way before having a kid, but that's my thought too. I have a young daughter. She's about to turn six. And I did think about that. I'm like, dang, if I get selected and what if it went wrong and I died, I'd be like, I think the net would still be a negative, but I think it's still an incredible, a positive example that it's like believed in something so much, yeah. took the risk anyway. It was this huge leap that I think it would still be in a, a really amazing last like gift to her, as sad as that would be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's there's, something you really have to think about. There's certain people that I would love to see get up there, people that are passionate about it. Like that's why you fit the criteria for sure to be able to be somebody up there. I don't know if NASA is that forward thinking in the past. NASA was, we, we worked with them in a small capacity doing some social media stuff and they're so old school in the way that they think. Fortunately, SpaceX is the complete opposite of that. And now NASA is partnering. At first I thought it was like SpaceX versus NASA. And then as I got more educated, I realized, oh no, 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 SpaceX wouldn't be SpaceX without NASA. They wouldn't have the projects. They wouldn't have the money from the original days, like reading Elon, Elon Musk biography about his life. Like you hear about how important it was for him to get those contracts to develop this stuff. Cause he was just like on some crappy Island out in the middle of the ocean, like making these spaceships super dangerous. And it, it would almost failed just like his, everything almost fails, but then he pulls through. 
But anyway, I would love to see people like Destin from Smarter Every Day. He's a YouTuber, makes great content. I know he tried to be an astronaut before and he didn't quite make it. And he's like a, he's a genius. He's so smart, great personality, and he has a digital influence on the world. He would be able to go up there and tell the story. Yeah, it's not in, it's not in, uh, he's not going to do a music, a song about it. He's not going to draw art. But if he made a video on going into space and he would, he would tell the story better than anybody um, there was like, he's, he's told some amazing stories about space. So anyway, I would love to see people like that. I would, I hope that you get the chance to go. And so if you go radio silent, then I know why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think there's definitely better people that they could pick than me just because if they're looking at pure total impact someone could have to society and in, inspiring people towards space as they went. But on, like, honestly, I'm just happy if I make it to a later round and at least at the very least get to tell them about what I'm doing to promote all of this. Like, cause you know, a fair number of people there in these programs know Maui Zawa doesn't yet. I think it'd be cool if they just took a copy of the adventures of Starman to the moon for me. Like, don't even take me, just take my creation out there. And that, <laughs> that would be enough. That'd be a good adventure. That'd be a good, a good, um, I guess article or what do you call it? A good addition that you could do like a good issue of like going to the moon after you go, you can like make a story. You were there. I don't know. I love it. Space sounds awesome. We could go on forever. You have a YouTube channel now where you talk about the latest in space. And in a way, I forgot that you even have this until I asked you a small question about space. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if you guys notice if you're listening right now, or if you're watching on YouTube, he sat up in his seat and he started spitting knowledge. So if you want to know more about space and what's happening, go check out your, what is your YouTube channel called with the, with space talk? It's the Starman report, the Starman report. There you go. I love it. So anyway, Eli, um, we could go on forever, but I think we'll end it now. Great topic. Super fun. We're going to have to do it again. We'll put your socials down below. So if you want to check it out, if you're listening to this podcast, check out the real life Starman on Instagram or Twitter. Or Twitter, and then also your Instagram is Eli Burton. Right? Yep, I'm Eli Burton on Twitter. Eli Burton. So great episode. Um, let us know next time we have Eli on what questions you have, and things questions are going to change because space is changing fast, NFTs are changing fast, Teslas are changing fast, and Eli keeps up on all of it. So um, we're, we're going to have to come back on like three or four months from now and almost like rehash every topic and see what's changed since this last one. So. All right. Thanks for listening to the What's Inside podcast. If you enjoyed this, give it a follow. Go ahead and download some of our previous episodes or go back on YouTube and watch them. We have the YouTube channel, What's Inside podcast, and then also on Apple, Spotify, all the places you can get your podcast. We have it there. So thanks for listening.